The scripture reading for today is Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of the Lord. Happy New Year. It's a new year. Uh, there's certain things we do. They come around and around. It's a cycle. We celebrate certain holidays that are religious. We celebrate uh, uh, certain civic uh, holidays come around. We all agree to abide by this calendar. New Year. That's great. And uh, when these things come around, it's, we can't, it's a time that just seems natural to maybe look at the last year, maybe look at the year coming up, and maybe decide to change some things. Maybe, or maybe decide to be proactive to do some things, or stop doing things. Resolutions. We resolve to change, to uh, be, be different act differently. I mean, a lot of these resolutions, I think, um, maybe come out of a sense of self-judgment, right? There's something, I'm finally going to have the willpower to lose these 20 pounds. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up at 6 in the morning and I'm going to run or I'm going to stop being such a loser and I'm going to write this novel, and um, these aren't about me. Um, you know, I mean, it's something that's lacking that we want to do. Or there's, you know, some are selfless. Some would be like, uh, are like, you know what, I'm going to give more. This year I was off, I'm going to be more loving to people. Um, this year I will stop swearing at drivers under my breath. 
Some are self-delusionally there, even, you know. I will increase, increase my wealth this year. I will increase my uh, awesomeness in the social media world. Um, self-delusional or, you know, I'm finally going to lose that 20 pounds. Um, I think it's good. I think it's good, these things, these resolutions, these determinations to think, you know, it's okay to examine your life and say, things are going to be different, or I'm going to be better. You know, it might be just a fine-tuning, or it could be a complete overhaul. You know, but self-improvement is a good thing. Examining some ways that you might want to change things or improve things seems healthy. I don't mind sharing with you my New Year's resolution. I, I'll just come right out and say it. I have resolved this year, 2016, to immerse myself in the love language of dance. I'm going to do it. I'm finally going to do it. And you know what? I want you to hold me accountable to that, too, throughout this 2016. You know these weeks... Oh, you thought I was going to start the immersion right now. I'm tempted because I do have a beat going through my head, and I, you know. But um, these weeks after Christmas, they're what we call in the church business um, the off weeks. The off weeks because after all that madness, the preparation for Christmas, and all the church going, and the feasting, and the cookies, and the imbibing, Everybody tends to be kind of exhausted and a little bit off their game. One reason we call them the off weeks. Preachers are not quite bringing everything they could to it. And also the off weeks because, you know, a lot of the congregation decides to take these weeks off. Yeah, I mean, not you, of course. I mean, you obviously are the upstanding, faithful folks. You're here all the time. I'm speaking of like the more casual believers, your spiritually suspect, your football watchers and the like. You know. But these weeks, these off weeks, I don't know. It's like it's just the same way right after Easter. And sometimes I wonder what's going on. Maybe it's not that they're spiritually suspect. It's just maybe it's a lot, a lot of church, a lot of focus on this. Maybe it's some kind of spiritual, like, hangover. It's, like, too much. Congregants have been so jacked on Advent adrenaline, worst band name ever, um, and they've worshipped late into the night on Christmas Eve, and they've gotten very little sleep, and then they have that one last push to praise our dear Savior's birth, and then they spiritually just pass out. When they finally come to, it's just all they can do to just barely remember what happened to them. Like they're thinking, did I really sing the alto part in O Holy Night? How embarrassing, you know? They have strange, all different kinds of strange programs from church services stuck in their jacket pocket. They don't even remember what they're from. Services, they don't even remember attending their mouth tastes like stale coffee and they have dry cookie crumbs plastered to their face. No wonder the thought of going back to churches right after all of that makes their head hurt. And for what? Why do you come back to church? They find they, all that exciting stuff has already happened. The Savior's already been born. 
So you come back, and if they actually knew this gospel text for today, maybe it would, like, convince them, drive them back under the covers quickly, stay at, make them stay at home. What do we get this week? Teenage Jesus. It's only slightly better band name. We have this teenage Jesus. Well, it's too bad for those congregants who've missed it today because they are missing out because we have this teenage Jesus and this teenage Jesus goes to church this week well, the temple. And this passage also is just like so unique narratively and so theologically rich. This is no other place in the Bible do we get teenage Jesus. Not in Mark, not in Matthew, not in John, only here in Luke. Leads a person to ask, why? why? Not only why did the other gospel writers leave it out, but why did Luke's author think it was so important to leave in? Why indeed? The narrative is really thick and juicy here. First of all, it's full of all this drama of traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. The crush of the crowds in the city reminds me a little bit of Christmas time at the mall. The excitement of the holiday, the hustle and bustle, or maybe a little snow falling. Except they were traveling to Jerusalem for Passover, which is in the spring, so there's no snow falling and they're not going there to shop. So it's a little different. No, all the righteous children of Israel are traveling from all around the world to gather at the house of God in Jerusalem to give thanks for saving them and delivering them from slavery. But maybe it's just a same cultural expression, different cultural expressions of the same impulse. Everybody pushing, going, gathering. I don't know. But then there's that whole thing too, that whole part in this, you don't find this story anywhere else, this whole, the drama, the whole leaving the kid at the gas station, losing the kid at the mall scenario we have in this text. One can easily identify with the panic they feel, Mary and Joseph, searching and not finding him. They're like, have you seen Jesus? No, I haven't seen Jesus. No, seriously, I haven't seen him. When did you see him last? I think it was yesterday. I don't think I've seen him since Jerusalem, they say. So they go all the way back to Jerusalem. And I don't know if their friends and relatives who are there all traveling with them go back with them, or they just keep on traveling. But anyway, at least Joseph and Mary go back. And they search Jerusalem for three days. So this is beyond just leaving your kid at the gas station. There, you turn the car around 20 minutes, he's back in your arms, crying, mad, you feel like such an idiot, your wife feels like you're such an idiot. No, this is three days. Often this text is read like they couldn't find him, so they went to Jerusalem and they went straight to the temple. Like they knew where he would be. But evidently, that is the last place they thought he would be in the temple. Because they didn't check it for three days. At the temple, we, the reader, come upon the teenage Jesus as we tag along in the narrative with Mary and Joseph. And we see Jesus learning. Learning, studying, listening, and asking questions. I don't know of any other place in the New Testament where Jesus is studying and learning. 
He asks a lot of questions other places, but they're more like rhetorical, a rabbinical kind of asking of questions to make a point sort of questions. But here Jesus is studying and learning. And sure, he's a really good student, and the teachers are impressed with the depth of his understanding, but he's still a student here. It's the only glimpse we get of this. But then Jesus' parents step out of the shadows, and they make a scene, which no teenager wants their parents to do, especially at the temple in front of all the cool rabbis. They're like, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. And Jesus responds with a typical teenage kind of contemptuous jab. Where did you think I would be? I'm at my father's house, doy. Of course, you don't have to characterize it like that. It could be the more traditional reading more traditional reading, where the boy cocks his head and quizzically, maybe a little condescendingly or maybe compassionately, and he says, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You know, I can't help but picturing Jesus like with blank eyes and then like him speaking in the English choir bore accent when he says that. And it seems kind of creepy to me. I mean, am I the only one that ever thought about that? Teenage Jesus is a creepy choir boy, no? Well, I'm sorry. For some reason, I can't get that reading out of my head because I this reading that's been filtered through my own culture and time. And I'll tell you what, I have a lot more experience with creepy English choir-born narratives than I do with first-century Palestinian teenage narratives. But here's the problem. This is right after Christmas for us. God has come into the world. Jesus the Christ has been born in our midst. God is among us. This is what we've been celebrating. It's happened. But maybe in these weeks after that, those celebrations, there's a little bit of this feeling like we kind of started looking for this coming. We started looking for Jesus. Jesus came, we celebrated it, and then... He's actually not here. We don't really find him, maybe. We have a lot of high hopes. Somehow the doll in the manger in the pageant is cute, but it's plastic. All this we have been anticipating the birth of the incarnation of God, the Savior coming, four weeks. And we celebrate his arrival. And now we just want to see him, hold him, or be held by him. But we do not see, maybe, Jesus among our party of travelers here in the way that we had hoped.
When they find Jesus in the temple, Mary says to him, Look, your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. Sometimes I understand that search, the great anxiety in that search. I've been told what he's supposed to look like, what I'm supposed to see. It doesn't always make sense to me. Doesn't always feel like there's anything there sometimes, maybe. Anxiety in the search. But after Jesus responds, he responds with, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? The text interjects, But they did not understand what he was saying to them. After searching for him, they come upon him, and then the text says they did not understand what he was saying to them. His parents, Mary and Joseph. You'd think after the angels and the miraculous birth, you would think if anybody could understand what Jesus was all about, it would be them. But they did not understand what he was saying to them, what he meant. This seems to me like a really good kind of confession or a point of contemplation to bring into this post-incarnation world. I mean, I like both the searching for Jesus and the confession that they do not understand what he is saying. What is it that they did not exactly understand, Mary and Joseph? Did they not understand that Jesus was referring to God as his father or the temple as the house of God? Or is it something much larger some much greater lack of understanding. And is it this lack, this greater lack of understanding seems to be carried all through Luke's gospel? Time and time again, people do not understand as Jesus grows past this teenage Jesus when we find him neck and teaches and heals through the book of Luke. People do not understand what he's talking about. This is a much larger lack of understanding that maybe for us carries us into this whole new year. We think we can plan out what we should do, what we should lop off, what we should increase, how we should behave. We want to nail it down. We want to know this next new this new year is going to look like this for us. But maybe this lack of understanding that Mary and Joseph confess keeps them from drawing conclusions right away. Keeps them from making statements about who this Jesus is and what this Jesus means. Keeps them from making some kind of resolution. A lack of understanding here this desire to understand, coupled with this lack of understanding, requires instead that they maintain an openness to the course of this narrative. And I can't think of a better way to enter the new year.